So here's what we have to look forward to today. We're in James chapter 3, so you can go ahead, whether it's the Bible that's on your app or the Bible that's in your lap, you can open your Bibles to John chapter 3. And uh, let me just bring us all on the same wavelength. I, I, I know I'm the type of guy who I just like, give me a review, like where have we been? Well, chapter 1, we've, we've gone verse by verse, line by line through the book of James, and in chapter 1, it was all... Uh, 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 about uh, these practical, uh, practical truths, but basically it was patience through trials. How can we be patient through trials and hard times? Uh, chapter two was uh, practice the truth. Uh, actually do something about the things that you say that have made a difference in your life. And chapter three, man, we've got a message in front of us today. It's power over the tongue. And I, I could suspect what you're thinking. It's like, I know somebody that needs to hear this message. Man, I wish they would have come to church with me today. Like you've tried, you've tried everything in the book to try to help them keep it shut and like temper their tongue. It's like you've traded the, the chapstick for a glue stick. That didn't work out. And you're just like, well, maybe, maybe something in James chapter 3 might help out a little bit. But if you recall, this is a really big deal for James. He already teed up this issue for us in chapter 1, verse 26. He's like, I'm coming for this. Just know. And here's what he said. If anyone thinks he is religious, in other words, calls themselves a Christian, and does not bridle that's control his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion, that's another word for worship. This person's worship is worthless. Clear enough, right? So uh, James is going to waste no time to share the hard truths that help build us up. He's not trying to beat us up. He's trying to build us up. It's important for us to read James like that. Um, but basically, much like, you know, when you go to the doctor for a checkup and they're like, open wide and say, ah, they're like, let me take a look inside and make sure there's nothing concerning. Well, today, Dr. Jesus, through James, is asking us all to open wide and say, ah, and stick our tongues out uh, metaphorically and see, is there anything concerning? Is there anything like in there that could lead you down a destructive path? And it's important, like, where does James get his content from? Well, he's really not that original. He's drawing the, a great deal of his content from the Old Testament. Uh, particularly his probably, if, if you were to ask James, what's your favorite book of the Bible? He would probably say the book of Proverbs because he's pulling from Proverbs all the time. But so the Old Testament, Proverbs, and we're going to see a lot of Proverbs today. Actually, the whole idea today comes out of Proverbs. But uh, he's also drawing from Jesus. So Proverbs and Jesus and the whole, so the, the big idea today, it comes out of Proverbs 18, verse 21. And basically, this is what it says. The power of life and death are in the tongue. So the, the tongue, this little muscle inside our mouth has so much power. And James, here's one of the no-nos in public speaking. They'll, they'll teach you this. Like if you're a professional speaker, you stand in front of people a lot. And this is kind of what you do. They'll say, don't, don't give people too many illustrations. Try to keep the same illustration. Don't mix the metaphors. Don't be all over the map. Just give them kind of one thing to reinforce all these big points. James totally ignores that. Well, either that or he just doesn't care. He's never heard that. James is the type of guy, it's like, okay, you've got a story, show me the pictures. Where are the pictures? You know, if you're a picture person, you need, you need a picture on the page. That's, the, the, that's what James is about to do. He's like, if a picture is worth a thousand words, I'm going to give you 8,000 words in this passage because he's going to give us eight pictures that are going to illustrate this idea that the power of life and death are in the tongue. And so in the spirit of James, I brought a picture with me up here on stage. And uh, Exhibit A, do you guys know what this is? 
Got a hammer with me. Okay, I don't do this a whole lot, bring visuals on stage, so I hope you enjoy this while it lasts. But I've got a hammer with me up here, and I'm just going to ask some obvious questions. I'm not trying to insult anybody's intelligence. We all know the answer to these. But, you know, a hammer, what does a hammer do? Well, it can do a lot of different things, right? But it depends on what you're, what you're using it for, for the outcome that it's going to accomplish. And so uh, right here, you've kind of got what's, what's called the face of the hammer, and you can use the face of the hammer to build things. You could drive a nail between a couple of pieces of wood. You could build a shelter. You could build a surface. You could build uh, a number of different things. Uh, you could build a home with it, and it could, be, it could be a blessing to the people who it's being built for, right? But if you turn this thing around, there's what's called a claw on this hammer, and that claw can be used to not build things, but to break things. Not to give life, but to, but to, t- to take life. And uh, the whole idea is that words are like hammers. You can build up or you can break down. You can uh, bring life or you can bring death. And that's what James is getting at is words in so many ways have the power to either give life or take life. And I want to show you how, where, where this all comes from. And then we're going to jump in, into James chapter 3, verse 1. But in the beginning, God built the world with words. You go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and you see a God who says, a God who speaks. One of the clearest and foremost revelations of God is that He communicates to His people. He wants us to hear His voice. He wants us to be guided by His voice. He wants us to follow his voice. And so 10 times in chapter 1, in in Genesis chapter 1, God said, and it was good. God said, and it was good. God said, and it was good. And so what does God do? He uses his words to to build up and to bring life. And what we see is that whenever we're following Jesus, whenever we're serving Jesus, whenever we're living for Jesus, what's going to happen is that our words are going to build instead of break. They're going to bring life instead of death. But you fast forward to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and this adversary, Satan, this, this sneaky serpent appears to God's creation, Adam and Eve, and he uses words to do the opposite. Instead of to build, he uses them to break. And, and he speaks these lies, and he's very cunning, and he's very crafty. And so instead of using his words to uh, build up, he uses them to break down. Instead of to bring life, he, he brings death through it. And here's, here's what we're, uh, is so easy for us. We can do the same thing. If we're not more influenced by the ways of Jesus than the ways of the world, by the ways of the word above the ways of the world, then what's going to happen is our speech, whether we like it or not, whether we're willing to admit it or not, it's going to bring more death than life, and it's going to break down more than it's going to build up. And so this is the caution in front of us. So let's pick up in James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. All right, so that's an interesting way to start off uh, a word about words. What James is saying right here is that he's talking about teaching in the church. And we know this because James includes himself in those who will be judged with greater strictness. He was the, in case you didn't know this, he was the pastor of the first century church and the first church in Jerusalem. And so, in other words, what James is saying is not many should aspire to be pastors who stand up and talk in front of a gathering of people every single week. And you're like, why? It's because God holds those of us who do to a higher standard. And we will, the the word literally says, we will be judged with a greater strictness. And one of the reasons why uh, this is such a big deal is because teachers have 
tremendous influence. I mean, for the most part, whenever a pastor who, who people trust for the most part, that when, when one of us would stand up and say, this is what God's word says, most people are going to hear that and be like, I think that's what God's word says. And you're going to take that to heart as if that's just the plain meaning. And uh, it's a huge deal because if we as pastors, as teachers, are not, as Paul says, rightly dividing the word of truth to the people of God, then we are wrongly deceiving the, the people of God. And just like you would be harder on someone who misrepresented your words and misrepresented your intent, God is no different. Where, where do we get that from when somebody like takes us out of context? Where do we get that from? It's like, that's not what I said. No, 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 that's, that's, that's a stretch. You're, you're lying or you're misrepresenting. Where do we get that from? From being created in the image of a truthful God. And so God wants the, the, the full truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth to be said about him, and that's the charge as teachers. And a big part of what all this means is, I'm going to say it, we talk more than the average person. <laughs> and that that's, uh, can be a good thing or that can be a bad thing. And as we'll see today, the more we talk, the more likely we are to say something sinful, to say something harmful, to say something unhelpful. And sometimes it's all three of those things. Uh, here it is, Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. And so the, the call of a pastor is to speak the word of God to the people of God in step with the truth and the grace of God. And if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write Ephesians 4.29. It's such a, a linchpin reference to what we're talking about today. But in Ephesians 4.29, I'll just read it to you. Paul says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So our speech is supposed to be pure. It's supposed to build up. It's supposed to be fitting for the occasion, not too soon, not too late, but right on time, and give grace to those who hear. So you hear the standards for how we're supposed to be talking and relating to one another. You're like, that's a pretty tall order. In fact, the Pew Research Center did a study and found that the average sermon is 5,500 words. And I'll say, say the plain thing, talking that much is risky. It's dangerous. It's It's weighty. And I, I personalized this. I, I totaled like an estimate of how many words I would have spoken this year in all the sermons that I've preached. So this is the 34th unique sermon that I have brought to our church this year, and that totals to 187,000 words. And, and I calculated that with fear and trembling because I know I've never nailed it. I know that I've, there's things that I've said that I've had to apologize for. There's things that I've said that I was like, I didn't mean it that way. And it's, it's just such a weighty thing to have the word of God and to be looked to by the people of God to, to trust that that is what is meant and said. And what James is saying in verse 1 is there is an enormous, enormous amount of care, of character and commitment that is required to speak that much and not do great harm. To, to even do more, more good than you do harm. So here's what he's saying right here. Someone should think long and hard before jumping into such a risky role because you have to talk a lot and we're accountable for every word. And I would imagine at this point, nobody wants to trade jobs with me, right? So I'm assuming that that's probably not the case. Just be glad that you're not me right now. But this is just not some warning for pastors. This is a warning 
for all types of people in all types of places. Because what are we doing? We're talking. We're speaking. We're speaking at home. We're speaking at work. We're speaking at school. We're speaking in the everyday settings where we live, work, and play. And if where words are many, transgression is not lacking, that means we ought to be apologizing a whole lot for the words that are coming out of our mouth. And in this passage, James gives us three pieces of wisdom that can guide the power of our words. And so let's pick up in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. So that's a proverb. Proverbs 24, 6. A righteous man falls seven times, and yet he gets up again. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And don't, don't get weird about that word perfect. What that means is it's just another word for mature. It's another word for initiated. So James is not saying that you're sinless. He's saying you've matured to the point to where you sin less. And so you see, a mature Christian is the one who probably, through a whole lot of putting our foot in our, our mouth, through a lot of trial and error, has come to a place to control this tiny little muscle inside of our mouth that can spew poison if we're not careful. And we, can, we have learned to control our tongue and say all those things that are pure, edifying, grace-giving, and fitting. And we know that this, can, this is not easy. This is not something that we just wake up and be like, I'm going to speak nothing but the truth and all these good things that are going to give grace. Self-control is something that is put into us. It's not manufactured by us. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so when you become a Christian, here's what happens. Your sins are forgiven, and the agency of the person of the Holy Spirit begins to fill and possess your life so that what, what God wants, you want, so that what God loves, you love, so that what God hates, you hate. And one of the things that comes in is this access to the spirit of self-control that was previously alien to us. But it takes time, and we must be taught. So imagine, like, when you become a Christian, you're learning a new language. And so you're, you're learning to no longer gossip. You're learning to no longer slander. You're learning to stop talking about people and start talking with people to build up instead of to break down. And that takes time. And over time, here's the good news, is that when we submit ourselves and we live in light of the cross and we submit ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit, our words begin to come under the influence of God and under the lordship of God. And they're, they're pure, they're edifying, they're fitting, and they're gracious. And what this does is this sets up the first piece of wisdom that James gives us, and it is this. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this down. Words have the power to direct our lives. All right, so here come the pictures. James is about to show us some pictures that illustrate this idea that words have the power to direct, to guide the course of our lives. Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide, that is direct, their whole bodies as well. So the first picture that we see right here is that of a, a horse's bit. And so I don't know if you know anything about horseback riding or if you've ever rode a horse before, uh, but our family uh, went to the mountains earlier this year, and our, our, our tiny little daughter, Eleanor, she had the chance to, to ride a horse, and she got to go horseback riding with a little bit of, of help. And uh, 
Eleanor, you got to understand, she, she might be 50 pounds soaking wet with a brick in her pocket. And so she's got, she's got the bit and she's got the bridle. And our dainty little Eleanor with the bit in the horse's mouth was able to guide and control the direction of that 1,000 pound creature. And I don't know if you know anything about horses, they are incredibly strong. Have you ever heard of this thing called horsepower? Well, we call it that for a reason. Horses are incredibly powerful. But little Eleanor was able to control this horse, and here's why, because that horse had been trained to yield its will to the will of its master. The point being, when we, when we yield our will and we yield our tongue and our speech and our mouth to the lordship of Jesus is we see that the direction of our words are moving different than they were before. But the alternative is true as well. Because could you imagine what it would be like if we were to put Eleanor, or you were to put someone like yourself or someone who you love on an untrained horse to try to, to, try to bridle that thing, to try to put a bit in its mouth? Man, it's going to be horse one, you or your loved one zero. It's not going to go well. Because that horse has not been trained to yield to the will of one who is greater, and so will it be with our words if we do not learn to train them under the lordship of of Jesus, and people are going to get hurt, and we see this. Verse 4, second picture, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided, that is directed by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So the first picture is a horse's bit. The second picture is a ship's rudder. That is what guides and directs a massive ship. So uh, if you look back in the pages of history in 1941, during World War II, there was a massive German battleship that was supposedly unsinkable, and it was called the Bismarck. It was like improbable that this ship would ever sink. But sure enough, somehow, the British Navy actually sunk the mighty Bismarck. And I say it was improbable because it was the largest, strongest battleship that Nazi Germany had ever produced. And at the time, it was considered unsinkable, able to outrun any other ship on the water. It was reinforced by steel. It could withstand a barrage of torpedoes and bombs. But it turns out that on May 21st of 1941, the British Air Forces sighted the Bismarck, and so they, they shot their shot. And they, they released missiles right in the direction of the Bismarck, and they assumed that they missed because they saw no explosion, which meant that the Bismarck uh, would get away because it was so much faster than all of these other ships that, uh, in, in, in the British, uh, in the British uh, uh, service. And here's what's interesting, though. As the Bismarck was sailing away, it suddenly veered right back toward the the British forces, awkwardly zigzagging and going in circles. And what had happened is apparently one of the missiles had jammed the rudder of the Bismarck. So this seemingly invincible ship that supposedly could never be sunk couldn't even steer straight and it looked like a circus act. And at that point, the British Navy just leveled it with bombs and torpedoes, and the unsinkable Bismarck was sent to the bottom of the Atlantic all because of a jammed rudder. You can Google it. There's pictures. And what we see right here is that just like a tiny horse's bit directs such a powerful animal, just like a ship's rudder directs such an enormous animal, 
vessel, so does the tongue direct the course of our lives. Think about this with me. How did you get where you are today? Well, the simple answer to that is one step at a time. But maybe a deeper answer is one word at a time. You are where you are today largely because of words spoken to you and words spoken by you that have directed the course of your life. And I'm just curious, what were those words that directed you as a child, as a teenager, if you're, if you're in college, or as, as, as an adult in your adult years? I mean, we've all had these moments when something was said that just had a power to it. And it's, it felt like it just began to take control of the rudder of our life. It was like the bit in our mouth, and it took us in a direction, whether it was good or bad. It had a power to it. I remember one time whenever um, I was in high school, there was one of my, supposedly, he was one of my friends at the time, he was one of, my, one of my teammates, we played basketball together, and I remember he said something that had a power to it to me that began to direct my life toward a course of death. He said that he would never, and, and for context, at the time, I was on the fence about whether or not I was going to actually live the Christian faith, and so I kind of had one, one foot in the world, another foot in the church, and I couldn't decide what I was going to do. And so I was like, that's the most miserable place to be, by the way. It's, it's just like pick a side and go all in. But I had not done that. And so uh, my friend looked at me and he said, hey, listen, I, you know, I enjoy playing basketball with you, all that stuff, but I would never want to go to a party that you go to because it wouldn't be any fun. And that word had a power to it. It, it was what that word for me was like, it was like the claw of this hammer and, and, and just leveling into my life. And what happened after that is I began to see how I could align my life with his definition of fun, which actually would be a closer definition of sin. And by going to places that I shouldn't have gone and pursuing things that I never should have pursued, and it led me into a dark place, and I made some really bad decisions. But here's what's, here's what's incredible. There was a point in my life whenever the, the rudder of my heart began to turn uh, toward the Word of God, and I was in college, I was 19 years old, playing basketball, and at that point in my life, things had happened, and I had realized the futility of trying to find my identity in lesser loves than Jesus. And this quest for meaning, this quest for pleasure outside of God's design was leaving me empty, and I wanted something more, and stubborn, selfish, sinful me was finally ready to hear the truth of God's Word that my parents had told me my whole upbringing. And so, in my dorm room, I started to hear and, and, and hear the Word of God. I started to read the Bible for myself. I knew that was when God was changing my heart is because I actually wanted to go to the Word of God whenever I was confused. And I started reading things like Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who are weary. And man, was I weary of trying to do it on my own. John six thirty seven. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Wow, I was, I, was, I was unwelcomed and I was unwanted by my friend group over here, but Jesus says, no matter my past, no matter my problems, he always welcomes me and he always wants me when I will come to him by faith. And Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I started to believe those words by faith and I came to this point to where I genuinely believed that it was more fun and more fulfilling to go in the God-directed uh, course that Jesus had purpose for me than it was to give in to the pressure of my friends. And I knew that that was the case because the same thing got said about me in college. After I'd gone to all these parties and tried to do all these things, is one of my teammates, they stopped inviting me to the parties when they realized that I wasn't going to be about the darkness. 
and I got uninvited again, but it didn't bother me nearly as much. And the reason why is because I had a new master and his approval mattered, mattered to me more. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that where you're just like, I really am, I really am a Christian because Jesus is now directing the course of my life. But that's what happened for me, and I, I pray it happened for you, and if not, that it can happen for you. But just like a bit and a rudder, words have the power to direct our lives. Secondly, what we're going to see is that words have the power to destroy our lives. And this is what we're going to see in these next couple of verses, is that there is a destructive power that our words possess. So take a look at verse 5, and let's see this together. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So I was, I was thinking about, like, what does is, what is the tongue boast of? And this was it's kind of, kind of silly, it's just some of the things that came to my mind, was a, a tongue would boast in that it never gets tired. It's like, it's the only muscle in your body that never gets tired of, like, I, like I went out, I played basketball with Eleanor this weekend, and I was reminded of muscles that I forgot that I had because they were now suddenly sore after, after playing basketball, and it wasn't, it wasn't a whole lot of output, just being real. But have you ever thought about, man, the, the, the tongue never gets tired? The tongue can run and run and run and run and run and run and still be totally fine. This is not the time for any spouse to say amen, all right? So just keep your little amens to yourself and uh, just know that this is the way that the tongue works. And one of the things it boasts of, it never gets tired. James continues, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. So the picture that James gives is that of a forest fire that was started by a very small spark, something that you wouldn't think twice about. So one recent example of this are the wildfires and the devastation that has, has struck Maui, Hawaii. Uh, back in August, you probably saw this on the, on the headlines and on the news or in your social media feed. And here's what's, here's what's creepy about that. Uh, here's what's ironic about that is that all started with one severed power line. A single spark on some dry grass, and within hours, there was a small brush fire that was supposedly contained, but it quickly escalated to people abandoning cars, abandoning homes, and jumping in the Pacific Ocean afraid for their lives. It was a terrible scene. And since that time, the wildfires in Maui have been named the worst natural disaster in the state's history. 97 lives have been lost, hundreds injured, thousands of homes destroyed, all from one spark. And according to James, the tongue is like this. A small word can spread like a wildfire and it can destroy the things that matter most. Words can destroy your confidence. Words can destroy your reputation. But most importantly, here's what's at stake, our relationships. Words can destroy our relationships. And let's just be humble for a moment. Think about the destruction that, that your words have caused those around you over the course of your life. I mean, when a marriage falls apart, it's almost always due to words. I know one counselor who said there is no such thing as a bad marriage where the couple speaks well to each other. A question for you. Just this past week, 
would you say that you built up or broke down those closest to you with your words? Which, which happened more? And, and if we were to you know, put your spouse on the hot seat and ask them, did, did, did they build you up or did they break you down more? They were put your kids, put your roommates, put, put those around you, put, put uh, your friends or your coworkers around them. What would they say? I'm ashamed to admit this, but I remember one time whenever I was, I was growing up, I was playing basketball with my older brother and a friend of mine, and I just got so worked up over the way that my, my brother was fouling me. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it, and he ended up winning the game. And I just, I just lost control. That was the idol. That was God to me. Basketball was. Uh, it was God to me growing up. And I remember telling my friend, I can't believe I did this. Well, I can believe I did this because I wasn't in Christ, but it's awful to say this out loud. I, I said to my friend, literally, go back to school and slander my brother. That's how much I want him to hurt. And the first, the first thing, the first place that I went when I wanted to hurt my brother was to words. And the first place that we go whenever it comes time to hurt other people, usually it is words. But think about this also. Turn that around. Destru- the destruction that others' words have caused you. I mean, for some of you, you've not gotten, you're, you're a grown adult and you've not gotten over that person who bullied you in high school, who made fun of your appearance, who made fun of your dress, who called you names, said you had a big nose and too many freckles and you were overweight and all these things. You're like, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will literally kill me. And, and that's, that's more of your experience. And you've been left thinking, I'm worthless. And you've not been able to shed that because of some mean-spirited person who spoke ugly to you. And for others, it was a boss, maybe some boss who just belittled you. And time and time and time again, and you've struggled to reclaim your confidence and feel like you could ever do anything right. But for many, this hits really close to home, it was your parents. It was your parents. They would say things like, I don't have time for you. You don't have what it takes. Or that you would grow up in church and it was really legalistic and they would say something like, God's ashamed of you. Or how, how dare you embarrass our family like that? Or why are you crying? Crying is for weak people. Or you're such a scaredy cat, toughen up. And those words just cut to the core of your identity, and they've come to define you. If you're being honest, you still need to heal from those. Or maybe it was an ex. Or maybe it's your spouse. (laughs) All those attacks, those insults, those sarcastic digs, just getting historic and bringing up all the faults and ways that would break your spirit. And And here's what happens when we resort to words is, and we try to hurt our spouses. Husbands feel like idiots. And wives feel like objects. Husbands don't feel this respect that's just so desired. And, and wives don't feel this love that's so deeply craved. And it just starts this, this cycle of wounding. It makes me think of Proverbs 12. Uh, I think it's Proverbs 12, 18, uh, which, which basically says that words are like sword thrusts. And they can, they can cut and hurt you as bad as if a, a sword were to pierce your body and, and drive you through. And so, like, I, you know, I wasn't going to bring a sword up here on stage. Okay, that was probably a bad play. I just stuck with the hammer. But, like, you could imagine, like, if someone's just, like, you know, working on all their Braveheart skills and all Excalibur, and then they just, like, they lose, lose control of the sword, and it just, like, boom, goes, like, right through you. You don't just go and say, oh, sorry about that. Let me take that back. Here you go. <laughs> I'm just going to put this back where it belongs. Okay, in the sheath. You stay there. And... You're wounded. It's out there. 
And so it took this long for that wound to happen. It's going to take the rest of your life for that wound to heal. And that's why a 15-second apology can't account for 15 years of death-bringing words. Because it's like a sword thrust. It takes time for that to heal. But here's what you can do in spouse. I want to talk to married couples for a minute. We desire to be a church full of healthy married couples. I think that changes the world. It changes the culture. It shapes the future. It builds the church and the kingdom when we have healthy married couples. Your words can bring life or death to your spouse. And they're going to bring death when you come at your spouse like a sword trying to injure them. Or it can bring life, even in those moments when you got to say something hard, when you come like a doctor's scalpel that is precisely trying to cut away something that would otherwise be a cancer. So you got to be surgical, not violent with those words whenever it's time to say something difficult. But if we're being honest, words have wounded many of us. Our words have, meant, have wounded many others. And what James is saying is that words have the power to bring hell on earth. You notice how he compared our words with, with being set on fire by hell? But the good news is they also have the power to bring heaven on earth. So there's two types of fire that we see in Scripture. There's the fire from hell and there's the fire from heaven. And there's this interesting scene in Luke 24 whenever some of Jesus' disciples are walking along the Emmaus Road and they're despair and, and they're, they're discouraged because they think it's over. They think their master's just been completely erased and it's over. And then Jesus, in resurrected form, he starts walking with them and they don't recognize him. And he starts going with them and he starts talking with them. He starts engaging with them and, and asking them what happened. And then they sit down to a meal and through words, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, as James describes him, begins to talk about, hey, you know Abraham? Abraham was pointing to me. You know Joseph? Joseph was pointing to me. You know the Red Sea? That was pointing to a deliverance that I would bring for all people for all time. You know that fire that fell from heaven on Mount Carmel with, with Elijah and, and Elisha and everything in their, all those miracles? That was about me. And it says that through the words of Jesus, the eyes of the disciples were opened and they went from despair to wonder. And Luke 24, 32 says, did not our hearts burn? within us, whenever he was speaking to us in this way. And so the fire from heaven can come and can ignite your heart with the truths of the gospel, or the fire from hell can come up and it, and it can set ablaze those relationships around us that matter the most. But there's another time in Acts chapter 2 whenever fire comes from heaven and it rests on the disciples, and it, and it says that it rests on their tongues, and this is an interesting connection. It's like if, if hell wants to set your tongue on fire with death, heaven wants to set your tongue on fire with life. And so the same Peter who denied Jesus not long before, his tongue was set ablaze with the fire of heaven, and he went from denying to declaring, and it was a day of salvation. And you see the difference between life and death that can come whenever we welcome and, and we want the way of Jesus instead of our, our way. His words over our words. Verse 7. This, this next verse, it's, all, it's almost kind of silly, some of these pictures that, that James puts in here. But he says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Let's put that picture up. This is, this is unbelievable. So uh, we, uh, 
We have taught bears to ride bicycles. This is actual footage. We've taught squirrels <laughs> to water ski. You guys are enjoying this? This is actual footage, all right? That is an elephant painting. Is there anything that we can't do, guys? I mean, we're, we're pretty impressive, right? I mean, just look at us. We can do all that, but we can't tame the tongue. Take a look at verse 8. This is where James is going. It's like, ha, ha, boom. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, watch for it, full of deadly poison. So if there was an open container of poison in your house, would you just leave it out there? Just, I mean, just, just leave, it, leave it out there for the kids or guests or anybody who's like, oh, what's this? Have some deadly poison. No, no, no. Um, Elliot, our son, who's one and doesn't know better, likes to get into deadly chemicals. Okay, your kids ever do this? Don't look at me like that. Don't leave me up here like that. Come on. All right. I'm going to feel really ashamed. All right. Um, so what we have is we have all these chemicals and all these poisonous, like, you know, you know, cleaning supplies and stuff that if ingested or swallowed, like, would be deadly. We have it behind a child's safety lock. And just to say the plain thing, it's because we don't want him to get into it because it's not good for him. And James is going in and he's saying, your mouth is an open container of deadly poison. You better keep that thing under the lock and chain of the Holy Spirit so you know when to open it and you know when to close it. Not a lot of amens right there. God bless America. <laughs> Help is on the way. All right. <laughs> uh, third and finally, words have the power to detect the condition of our hearts. Take a look at verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So basically what that's saying is that's like if somebody came to me and said, Jeremy, you're great, but I can't stand your family. Hold on, we're a package deal. We come together. Like two have become one. Those are my kids right here. Like we're together, we're a unit. And that's what James is saying we do with God. It's like, God, you're great. You know, Holy Spirit, you know, way maker. Let me praise Jesus and lift my hands and make listening noises during the sermon, but I'm going to treat my neighbor like doo-doo. Did I just say that? Wow. Um, <laughs> a sermon on words. Watch your mouth, right? And so you're going to, but you're going to say that about God, and then you're going to treat his image bearers very poorly. He's like, no, 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 no. That's not the way that this works. Verse 10. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So here we have more pictures. You see all these pictures that he's putting in there just to animate our understanding on the power of words? He says there's a spring, there's, there's a tree, there's a vine, there's a pond, and there's a connection. It's the heart. James is get, he's going after the hearts. He's saying that mouth problem is actually a heart problem. So think about it this way. Whatever is at the depths of a spring, whatever is at the roots of a tree, whatever is at the bottom of a pond, is what those things are ultimately going to pour out and produce. And so similarly, 
Whatever is inside the well of our hearts is what will come out of mouth. It says that old saying goes, whatever is down in the well is going to come up in the bucket. And Jesus puts it this way in Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I don't want to ask you this question. How is your heart? What do the words that are spilling out, that are pouring out of your mouth say about the condition of your heart? What would those closest to you say about the condition of your heart based on the way that you speak with them? And I want to ask you an honest question. Is your heart spilling over with words that break down and bring death or words that build up and bring life? Some of you, God brought you here to hear this message today because you need to apologize to somebody. Because you need to write a letter to somebody with words that build up, with words that are true, with words that are going to give grace. You need to start talking to someone instead of about someone. You need to stop gossiping, confessing other people's sin for them. It's the adult version of being a tattletale, is gossip. Apparently, kids grow up and we don't really change. We're just adults and we have more sophisticated ways for doing childish things. And so, so some of you, you, you need to have a hard conversation with somebody that you've been putting off for a really long time. And you, you need to speak tough truth in a tender way. You need to send a text and, and start that conversation. But here's the good news. We all have some action steps to take out of this concerning words, but the good news is that the words of Jesus give us hope and help. John 7, 38. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, that's wholehearted, deep-hearted, down to the well of our hearts, trust. That's what that means. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus' words in John 7 are at least part of what James has in mind when he talks about that refreshing, uh, or when he references that freshwater spring in verse 12. He's saying that deep, wholehearted belief in Jesus is the only power that can purify our hearts and words. So James has this in mind, but he also has something else in mind. He likely has a story in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 15 in mind whenever he talks about this, this spring and this pond. And basically the people of God have just been set free out of slavery. They've been led across the Red Sea and they come to the wilderness and they're thirsty. They've run out of, they, know, they have no more reserve, they have no more water. And, and, and then they come to this place called Mara, which means bitter, and they try to drink the water right there, and they can't do it because it's so bitter. And then with words, they start to attack Moses, and they start to complain, and they're like, what are we going to do? And right about that time, God points out to Moses a tree. And he tells Moses, cut down that tree and throw it in the waters of Mara. And like a miracle, that happens. And when the tree goes into the waters, they turn from bitter to sweet. And that tree is a picture of the cross. What happens whenever the cross of Christ possesses our life and controls our words is that those words of bitterness become words of forgiveness. Those words that are lies become words of truth. Those words of condemnation become words of grace. How is that possible? It's because you are now pouring out what has been put in. And when, when the gospel, when the goodness of Jesus, when the grace of Jesus, when the words of Jesus 
fill your life, they start to pour out of your life. And so what we see in James chapter 3 is that words have the power uh, to uh, direct our lives. They have the power to, to destroy our lives, and they have the power to detect our hearts, but they also have a special power to deliver us. And some of you, you need to be delivered from these words that you're saying. Others of you, all of us in some way, we need to be delivered by the words that Jesus has said. And so I can think of, I can think of three groups of people who, who must respond to this word today. And here in a moment, I'm going to have our care team come forward and give you an opportunity to be prayed over or just to come down forward and for you to just surrender your mouth to the Lordship of Jesus and say, well, I want to speak words that build up instead of break down. I want to speak words that bring life instead of death. And I've not been doing that. But the first group is maybe you're, you're here and some of you, your words have been bitter. Your words have been doing more breaking than building. They've been bringing more death than giving life. And I just want to raise the question, could that be because you've not yet believed? You see, you can't give what you don't possess. And if the words of Jesus have yet to fill your heart fully and finally through faith in Him, then you're not going to pour out the life that was spoken in Genesis 1-3. You're going to pour out the death that the serpent spoke in Genesis 3-1. And so I want to invite you, if that's you, that could change today. Would you look upon the cross? Would you look upon Jesus? And would you surrender to Him by faith fully and finally? And so others of you, you're, you're here and you are a believer, but this is a battle. We're all in this battle together. And you, you look at the people around you and, and you just say, man, I've, I've not been representing, the, I've not been speaking for Jesus very well lately. Will, will, will you commit to, to speaking words that build up instead of break down? Will you commit new and afresh by the power of the Holy Spirit to speak words that give life instead of words that bring death? And the last group that needs to respond is you've been really hurt by some things that people have said. And if you were being really real, you would say, I've never fully healed. Well, that, that healing can happen only as you commit to allowing the voice of Jesus to speak a louder, better word than the voice of those people who have told you you weren't welcome. Those people who pushed you out, told you you weren't wanted. And so will you believe what Jesus says about you before what they say about you? And will you surround yourself with people who will remind you of that identity on a daily basis? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to lead us in a time of prayers. Our, our care team comes forward. And our, our worship team comes. If you're here and you just say to any of those things, to, to any of those invitations, I just, I need prayer. Or I need to pray. Man, would you just come down? Even as I'm talking, would you come down and would you hit your knees and would you just pray that God would give you the strength and give you the power to speak words that build instead of break, that bring life instead of death? Or maybe you just need some, somebody to pray for you. They're in place. But as we do that and as we sing and as we respond, I just want to pray for all of us. Heavenly Father, thank you that whoever believes in you out of our heart will flow rivers of living water. And so, God, we surrender to you our hearts, and we pray that that would show up in our, our, the, the words that we speak. And, God, I pray for the person here who has just been come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
as we've looked at James chapter 3, I pray that you would gently but intentionally draw them close and that even in the coming forward today, even in the stepping out as we leave today, that there would just be a, a resolve that comes from the Spirit and not from you or not from ourselves. I pray that the words of our heart and the meditation, the words of our lips and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and redeemer in Jesus' name. Amen.